Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and your host. Today, we are joined by Megan Headley, Research Director at Trust Radius. Hello, Megan, and thanks for joining us today. Great. Um, so, like you mentioned, I'm the head of research at Trust Radius, and we are a you know review platform for business software. So we really sit at a juncture between B2B software buyers and vendors. We have um, tens of thousands of end user reviews on TrustRadius.com, which buyers really use to research and evaluate the software products that they're thinking about purchasing. Um, and then we also engage with vendors, one, to make sure that their products are you know, listed accurately and represented properly in our taxonomy, um, and to make sure that we're understanding you know, the changes that are happening in their spaces. And then we also have a set of vendor offerings that are focused on you know, helping vendors leverage review content in their own sales and marketing efforts. Excellent. So that's what we do. All right. And, and we're actually meeting today because you guys did a survey sort of digging into the B2B buying disconnect. And, and it's a fascinating look, I think, at how buyers see the process versus vendors seeing the process. So can you tell us a little bit more about the survey? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like I mentioned, since we work with both buyers and vendors, we were really avid followers of all of the research around the changing B2B buying journey. Um, and there's, you know, been lots of studies that show that B2B buyers are conducting more and more independent research than ever before and are increasingly behaving like consumers. But there hadn't really been any research that looks at both buyers and vendors together. So how are vendors responding to these changes and are they missing out on any areas of opportunity? So we set out to survey both buyers and vendors. Um, to discover any areas of alignment uh, or gaps between how buyers are making their decisions and then how vendors are, are trying to influence them. The end goal really being, you know, what can vendors learn from this research? How can they better serve their potential buyers? So uh, we invited buyers and vendors to take this, you know, aligning surveys. And these were buyers who had played a significant role with, you know, an important software purchase decision for their organization or individuals who work in marketing or sales management for a software vendor. We had about 608 people took our surveys and we asked buyers questions around, you know, the information sources that they used, what selection criteria were most important to them, how did they view the role of the vendor, and then ultimately, how did they feel about their purchase? So how satisfied were they with the product? And then we asked vendors a similar set of questions around what they think is important to their buyers. And then what kind of, you know, content types do they focus on sharing with their buyers and how effective do they think, you know, that content type is. Excellent. All right. So what did you find? Tell me some of the, the key things that popped out for you. Yeah. So um, I'll start with the good thing, which is, you know, kind of the major area of alignment, which which might not surprise anybody, but I think it's important to mention. Um, so buyers and vendors are really aligned around product demos and free trials. So product demos and free trials were among, you know, the most commonly used information sources by buyers. So, for example, more than 75 percent of buyers used product demos in their selection process. Um, and product demos and free trials were up two of the top three most helpful information sources, according to buyers, and two of the top three most trustworthy information sources. So hands-on experience with the product is, you know, really important and desirable for buyers. What I found really interesting in the study, too, was when you asked um, vendors about the materials that they create and you asked what did they think was was you know sort of difficulty of creating those materials. 
the, the demos were on the lower end. So they were more effective to the buyers and they were less difficult to create for the vendors. And that just feels like a win-win. Exactly, exactly. So on the vendor side, product demos, they were the second most commonly shared content type um, that vendors are using with prospects, the, the first one being case studies. Um, and they were the most effective content type, according to vendors, in terms of helping to convert prospects. So exactly like you say, buyers and vendors are clearly aligned around this. Product demos and free trials, hands-on experience with the product is good all around. Excellent. All right, what else did you find? Yeah, so I think in terms of the biggest kind of gap or the biggest disconnect between buyers and vendors um, is really around vendor, the vendor collateral. So vendor website and vendor marketing collateral. So while buyers used these information sources, you know, for example, the vendor website was the second most commonly used information source by buyers, um, buyers did not find them very helpful or very trustworthy. So in fact, the vendor website and the vendor collateral were the two least helpful and least trustworthy information sources overall, according to buyers. Um, and if you've ever bought software and kind of tried to understand certain details from the vendor's website, this might not really surprise you. Um, <laughs> and digging into the qualitative data around it, um, buyers who didn't like vendor collateral often described it as, you know, really fluffy, lacking detail, and really aimed at getting your contact information as a lead rather than giving you valuable, useful information. Um, so a couple of quotes to kind of put some color on that. One buyer said, Vendor, website, vendor websites are limited, provide little insight, and are only geared to get your information for a sales call. Another buyer said, vendor collateral is often puffery and glosses over important details. Well, and we, you know, we always say it's 100% buzzword compliant, right? Some of the sites <laughs> you go on there and you think, wow, that's a, a lot of nothing. Uh, with their <laughs> what does that mean? Exactly. exactly. And then the interesting thing here, too, is that on the vendor side, vendor marketers themselves, while they're you know, really focused on creating a lot of marketing collateral um, to share with prospects, vendors themselves recognize that, you know, those those content types, uh, you know, blogs, white papers, ebooks, um, infographics, etc., are the least effective content types at converting prospects. So vendors themselves recognize that these, you know, their own marketing collateral is not very effective. I think it's probably a big focus because it's something we control 100%. Right. We can do that in our vacuum of life um, and move forward. In it. And sometimes that's what gets done most. Exactly. That's a great point. Um, but one thing, you know, one thing that we want to point out is that, you know, we don't necessarily think this means that vendors shouldn't produce marketing collateral. Right. My but we see it as thanks you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we see it as an opportunity to really do a better job um, with your marketing collateral. So. What we know when we're looking overall, when we're looking at averages, buyers found vendor collateral to be unhelpful and untrustworthy. But there was a small subset of buyers who liked the vendor collateral. Um, and when you kind of dig into the qualitative responses, those buyers, you know, the ones who liked the vendor materials, described, you know, really balanced, thorough, detailed, and personalized approaches from those vendors. Um, so just a couple of quotes to put some color on that. One buyer who like Vendor Collateral said, it really helps to understand the product and the service, the pitfalls and the options. Um, another buyer said, uh, I liked that the vendor was open and did not hide anything about their product. Mm. So we really see this as an opportunity to produce marketing collateral that is more useful and feels more believable to buyers. 
That makes a lot of sense too. And we think of all the things I, I, I buy, it seems like almost everything on Amazon, right? And, and I don't expect all five-star reviews, but I expect a, a certain level of review and I, I go in, I dig, and I tend to read the negative reviews to figure out what is the, the bad feature. We're used to that level of transparency on almost everything we buy. So in our personal lives, I think bringing that into the, to a B2B environment makes a lot of sense. Exactly. And you know what the the negative reviews or the negative perspectives, the pitfalls, what that really, you know, it doesn't necessarily keep you from purchasing the product. Um, but what it does is is helps you trust all of the positive reviews. Hmm, that's a good point. Were there mm-hmm. particular types of vendor claims that weren't believed or, or areas that were particularly setting off people's uh, BS alarm? Yeah, exactly. There, there definitely were. So so one line of questioning we had um, was we asked buyers to describe a vendor claim that they found questionable or, or did not quite believe. Um, and uh, what we found is that um, the, you know, the types of, of questionable claims that people described were, were pretty interesting. So they spanned things, you know, really broad over promises like, you know, it's the best out there or it's <laughs> going to solve all my problems or it offers endless flexibility um <laughs> it's a miracle <laughs> <laughs> exactly um and then also you know there were other claims around so the availability of a specific feature that the buyer knew from other resources that you know to be untrue or you know promises around ease of use or ease of integration even roi calculations um you know buyers described as being potentially inflated or unbelievable or even pricing. So buyers were concerned about, you know, hidden costs from the vendors. But the really, I think the really interesting thing around this line of questioning was that, you know, after we asked buyers to describe uh, a questionable claim that they had perhaps not quite believed, we asked them who made the claim. Was it, you know, the vendor that you ultimately bought from or another vendor that you considered purchasing? Um, and the interesting thing was that 58% of the of the buyers said that the questionable claim they described came from the vendor whose product they ultimately bought. Mm. So to me, what this really says is that, you know, vendors can continue to make broad generic claims or, you know, really only speak in their own marketing voice um, and, and make claims that, that buyers might not believe. Um, and you know, people will still purchase their product, uh, but they'll really be kind of missing out on an opportunity to be more influential among among their buyers, and they won't really be serving their buyers as well as they could be. That's interesting, right? That that they know that they're being uh, the truth is being stretched. They're they're a victim of this, or they can see the spin, but they know they still move forward. And part of that probably is a reflection that uh, almost everybody does it. But if you're not doing it, what an opportunity to really stand out from the crowd. Exactly, exactly. And what we find is that, you know, when when buyers don't quite believe what vendors are saying, all all they do is they go validate it elsewhere. So because Mm -hmm. buyers are using, you know, multiple information sources to to inform their purchase, um, they're really, you know, taking what the vendor says with a grain of salt and and looking elsewhere to really, you know, inform their decision. Excellent. One of the other uh, really fascinating things I thought in this in the survey, of which there were obviously a lot, because I keep saying this, uh, <laughs> was the the idea of whether or not the sales team played a strategic role in the in the process or not. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you found? Yeah, yeah. So the first thing I'll say um, is that you know, despite the trend toward independent research that many studies have shown, the vendor still plays a role. So we asked buyers to rate. How influential was the vendor in your decision? 
And 60% of buyers said the vendor was somewhat or very influential. So a three or a four on a scale of one to four. So vendors are definitely playing a role. But then we also asked buyers to describe, you know, in an open text response, the, the role that the vendor played in their selection process. Um, and we found that there were really two types of answers um, besides that, you know, there were a small set of buyers who said the vendor simply played no role whatsoever. Besides those buyers, there were two types of answers. There were buyers who described a very tactical or a very pragmatic role. So things like the vendor gave me pricing info or set up my package or facilitated a standard demo, answered my questions, provided technical support. You know, essentially the vendor sold me the software and provided information that I couldn't have gotten elsewhere. So that was one group. And then there was another smaller group of buyers who described a much more strategic role where they felt like the vendor was more of a partner. So in these cases, buyers talked about things like a very personalized demo or, you know, vendor representatives helped them build a case to convince internal stakeholders or demonstrate ROI for their particular situation. Or these buyers described kind of really positive non-salesy um, interactions with vendor representatives. So I think, you know, the interesting here thing here was that if you overlay those two data sets, you know, the rating on how influential the vendor was and whether the buyer described a tactical or a strategic role, you can clearly see that the vendors who are being more strategic um, are ultimately also more influential. So to put some numbers around that, um, if you look at the buyers who described a strategic role, 89% of those buyers said the vendor was somewhat or very influential. And then if you look at the buyers who described a tactical or a pragmatic role, 62% of those buyers um, said the same thing. And it was fascinating because only, what, 23% of the buyers considered their sales to have uh, played a strategic role. Do you have exactly. any idea of, of what percentage of the vendors thought they played a strategic role? I wonder what the connection is there. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have a specific line of questioning around that. Um, I think we sort of made the assumption that vendors want to be strategic. Mm. Um, I think I think vendors really... Yes. really do want that. <laughs> That's kind of their ultimate goal. Um, but I think in the case of this survey, you know, most of the vendors that the buyers were interacting with really weren't uh, succeeding at being strategic. Um, and I think this plays into the, you know, authenticity that we already talked about. So if you talk, you know, if you think about the kinds of vendor collateral that buyers did like, so providing, you know, really detailed, thorough, balanced information, you know, our conclusion is that, you know, vendors who are being authentic and being balanced and straightforward um, in their interactions with buyers and really acting like partners, um, those vendors are in the best position to influence their, their buyers. You know, and if you're not providing this type of information, if your collateral is really fluffy and one-sided and generic and, you know, all in your own voice kind of making promises that your buyers aren't really believing, um, people will still buy from you, uh, but it's not really going to be because you influence them. It's going to be more based on their own independent research um, where they're, you know, looking to validate your claims elsewhere. Excellent. So another area that you guys dug into that I thought was pretty interesting is what kind of factors, um, both from an, a vendor, sort of the description of the vendor and the end of the product, really played the biggest role in the buyer's purchase. So, so you're talking about you know the the selection criteria that people thought were important. Yes. Okay. Great. Yeah. So, so I think the unsurprising thing here was that for both, you know, according to both buyers and vendors. 
um, product capabilities were, you know, the most important selection criteria. So if you look at, you know, price, the strength of the feature set, ease of use for end users, ease of setup, um, you know, factors that really related to the product and its set of capabilities were the most important selection criteria, according to buyers and vendors. So they were pretty aligned around this. Um, but then we also asked around, you know, some other kind of vendor related or external factors that may have been important to, to some buyers. So, you know, does the vendor clearly understand my, you know, my unique needs or how innovative is the vendor? Um, what's the market presence of the product? Things like that. Um, and the, the biggest disconnect that we saw in terms of, you know, which, which uh, selection criteria were important to buyers versus what vendors thought were important to buyers um, was really around the vendor clearly understands my unique needs and pain points. So 70% of vendor respondents said that that was an important factor to buyers, um, but only 39% of buyers uh, selected this option. So we see this as kind of playing into the, uh, the strategic data point. So this could indicate that vendors really see their role as being more strategic. They think that they're, you know, showing that they understand the buyer's unique needs and unique pain points um, and trying to tailor their interactions based on the buyer's unique situation. But buyers either aren't really recognizing this role um, or, you know, don't feel it's as important in their selection process. Fascinating. So you, you, you have these buyers that have bought from you, perhaps despite the claims you make. They use a variety of materials, particularly demos and free trials to, to kind of validate the right product and check with peers. Then they come in and they are generally fairly satisfied. But then there was a disconnect with, with what vendors did with these satisfied customers afterwards, or what, as a case may be, they didn't use them for. Exactly. So... The first thing to, this is kind of our, 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 one of our biggest major findings, which is, you know, a missed opportunity for vendors. They're not fully leveraging their own customer base. So I think the first point to make here is that aside from hands-on experience, um, which we already talked about, um, buyers really like to hear directly from end users. Um, so this might be in the form of direct referrals from people that they know, uh, vendor-provided customer references, or end-user reviews. Um, so, for example, after product demos and free trials, the two most helpful information sources, according to buyers, uh, were direct referrals from you know, peers and colleagues and user reviews. So overall, buyers are really looking for that type of perspective um, and they find it pretty helpful and pretty trustworthy. So that's one thing. But then another key point to keep in mind, which you just mentioned, is that most buyers are really happy with their purchase. So. We asked uh, the buyers, now that, you're, you know, now that you're using the product, how satisfied are you with it on a scale of one to 10? And 46% of respondents gave the product a nine or a 10. So technically promoters on you know, a typical NPS scale. Um, but then if you add in the eights, um, which is also a really positive rating, uh, that number grows to 81%. So 81% of buyers gave the product an eight, nine, or 10, uh, of a satisfaction rating on a scale of one to 10. And then 91% intend to renew. So those are some pretty satisfied customers. Um, and this didn't really change, you know, if you if you kind of slice the data by demographics, if you look at small business buyers versus mid-sized companies versus enterprise buyers, or if you look at the, you know, size of the purchase in terms of annual licensing cost, these numbers don't really vary. 
Um, so even enterprise buyers or buyers making a large complex purchase are you know, ultimately just dissatisfied as well. Um, so not only are, you know, most buyers pretty satisfied, it's also a group of people that, uh, or, you know, customers are pretty satisfied. This is a group of people that buyers really want to hear from. But we also ask people, you know, now that you're, now that you're using the product, you know, have you taken any, any sort of, what kind of action have you taken, um, around, you know, sharing information about that product with other people. So recommending the product to a peer or providing a case study or a customer reference to the vendor, things like that. Um, and only 20% of our respondents had taken some sort of action that the vendor could really leverage among prospects. So such as, you know, providing a case study or serving as a reference or providing a testimonial. So these vendors really have an arsenal of, you know, satisfied customers who buyers really want to hear from. But these customers aren't, you know, all out there, you know, speaking on the vendor's behalf in a scalable way that vendors can really use to reach more uh, prospects. Well, excellent. All right, Megan. So we talked a lot about a lot of different things because there's a ton covered in this survey. And we will we will provide the link uh, in the description so people can check it out. But if Perfect. you were to pick um, two things, two things that you really either want people to do differently or to really remember from this survey, what would it be? Yeah, so I think the first thing is that, you know, the first thing is that vendors need to do a better job of connecting their prospects with their existing customers and existing users. Um, this is who the prospects want to hear from. It's an effective tool to help the prospects, um, uh, you know, discover what they need to discover about your product. They trust that resource. Um, and you know your your customers are pretty willing to do that for you. So I think that's thing one. The second thing is that once once vendors start doing that, once the vendors really start connecting their prospects with their existing customers and existing users, they do not need to limit themselves to the happiest of the happiest customers. So, like we just talked about, you know, uh, buyers are looking for thorough and balanced and unbiased information. And if you're only sharing with them your biggest advocates and only connecting them to your biggest advocates, they're not really going to trust you. Um, and they're going to go somewhere else to, to validate what you and your, your, uh, your super happy customers are saying. But if they can also, you know, if they can also see what the 8% of your, you know, customers who are distractors can, if they can also see their perspective and see what they're saying it doesn't really prevent them from purchasing your product necessarily but it does help them trust what everyone else is saying so vendors who are really open and transparent and authentic with their buyers are really in a great position to um, facilitate the process and really serve their buyers well thank you so much for joining me today megan it has been a real pleasure to have you and i hope you'll join us again sometime and thank you all for listening don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.